0: Our passage this morning comes from the book of Job, chapter 15, verse 17 through 25, 35. Uh, you will find, well, uh, that this is the last part of Eliphaz's speech, to second speech to Job. Uh, just so that we have the full context, I'll read the entire chapter. Uh, we, we've been looking at it in the last three weeks, uh, two weeks, and then this is the third week. Uh, we want to remind you, I want to remind you that the controversy between Al- the, job's three friends and Job is different from the controversy uh, that is between Satan and, and the Lord God in relation to Job. Uh, the controversy uh, with, with Satan is Satan has said that Job, if he was afflicted, would curse the Lord that he is only pious, that he is only devoted to the Lord because the Lord has prospered him, and that if he took away his prosperity, uh, Job would abandon the Lord God. This Job does not do. Uh, But the controversy between Job and his friends is somewhat different. Uh, Job's three friends have looked upon the miseries of Job and made a logical deduction, but one based on a false premise. They have looked at his... uh, miseries and concluded that he has been, though accounted a great and pious man, uh, a sinner and an oppressor, and therefore a hypocrite. And what Job is do, uh, is experiencing is the wrath of God against his sin, and that what Job needs to do is to repent. Job, while confessing that he is a sinner, recognizes that his devotion to the Lord is genuine that he has not done ought to bring upon himself God's wrath, that he is looking to God's mercy, and his contention with them is that you cannot judge God's favor or disfavor upon a person by their circumstance in the world, that there are those who are godly that suffer for reasons uh, that have not to do with punishment, uh, that that have to do with discipline, perhaps, or training, purifying, or even teaching. Uh, one of the things that we will see in the book of Job is, as he and we've already seen this, is that as Job wrestles with his friends uh, and seeks to be honest both to them and to God, that his clarity about the hope that he has with God becomes not only... Uh, brighter, but becomes fuller even, that there are conclusions of theology, for lack of a better term, that were not available to him until he suffered. We know at the end that it is Job that is vindicated by God, that it is his friends that must seek unto Job for reconciliation, uh, that they spoke in error. But the error that they deal with, Job, is one of misapplication. And as we look at their words, we want to note that misapplication and how the truth can be twisted by the devil, because this is part of Job's trials. Uh, But we also don't want to miss the truth that is there. And that will be the spirit in which we look at verses 17 through 35 this morning. Before I read the passage... And not only the passage, but the entirety of Job chapter 15, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning again in the name of Jesus Christ, and we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that inspired the prophet to record this narrative of Job for our benefit, for the infallible instruction of your people. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would send forth your same spirit today, that he would dwell within our hearts, that he would accompany the word read and preached and that he would accompany the word heard, that your word might not return unto you void, but that it would grow in the deep soil of our hearts and that it would produce the fruits that you have called forth, the fruits of repentance from sin the fruits of faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in obedience uh, to your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the 15th chapter of the book of Job. Then answered Eliphaz the Temanite and said, Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Yea, thou castest off fear and restraineth prayer before God. For thy mouth uttereth thy iniquity, and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. Thy own mouth condemneth thee, and not I. Yea, thy own lips testify against thee. Art thou the first man that was born? Or was thou made before the hills? Hast thou heard the secret of God, and dost thou restrain wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou which is not in us? With us are both the gray-headed and very aged men, much elder than thy father. Are the consolations of God small with thee? Is there any secret thing with thee? Why dost thy heart carry thee away? And what do thy eyes weep at, that thou turnest thy spirit against God, and let us such words go out of thy mouth? What is man that he should be clean, and he which is born of woman that he should be righteous? Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man, which drinketh iniquity like water. I will show thee, hear me, and that which I have seen I will declare, which wise men have told from their fathers and have not hid it, under whom alone the earth was given and no stranger passed among them. The wicked man travaileth with pain all his days. And the number of years is hidden to the oppressor. A dreadful sound is in his ears. In prosperity the destroyer shall come upon him. He believeth not that he shall return out of darkness, and he is waited for at the sword. He wandereth abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knoweth that the day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish shall make him afraid. They shall prevail against him as a king ready to the battle." For he stretcheth out his hand against God, and strengtheneth himself against the Almighty. He runneth upon him, even on his neck, upon the thick bosses of his butlers, because he covereth his face with his fatness, and maketh callops of fat on his flanks. And he dwelleth in desolate cities, and houses which no man inhabiteth, which are ready to become heaps. He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue, neither shall he prolong the perfection thereof upon the earth. He shall not depart out of darkness. The flame shall dry up his branches, and by the breath of his mouth shall he go away. Let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. It shall be accomplished before his time, and his branch shall not be green. He shall shake off his unripe grape as the vine, and shall cast off his flower as the olive. For the congregation of hypocrites shall be desolate, and fire shall consume the tabernacles of bribery. They conceive mischief and bring forth vanity, and their belly prepareth the seed. The grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Amen. The doctrine of Eliphaz, and this is a doctrine that he has brought forth before, chapter 4, chapter 5 to a certain extent, in his first speech. The doctrine we find in verse 20. The wicked man travaileth with pains all his days, and the number of years is hidden to the oppressor. That is, the wicked live miserable lives of dread uncertainty. Now, it is certainly true that the number of the days of the oppressor and the oppressed are hid from them, uh, that the number of days of anyone, a saint or not saint, uh, people of God or not the people of God, is hid from them. Uh, But this becomes part of the misery Of them that do not know the Lord. Now, Eliphaz is writing with broad strokes, or speaking with broad strokes. This is a generalization, but it is nevertheless a true generalization. uh, That while in all the particulars we may not find the fullness, but we find the trace. And in fact, even you and I, as we examine our hearts, particularly in those times where we are most estranged from our Savior, where we have most. Forgotten those graces and turned ourselves unto the things of this world and delighted in vanities, even we can see the truth that is here. Uh, that the, the things that promise great satisfaction not only fail to satisfy, but also bring with them a certain conscientious dread, a dread of judgment, a dread of uncertainty, a dread of their own vanity, that is, uh, not emptiness or meaninglessness, but remember in the Hebrew, the that that word vanity speaks to the temporariness of things, the breath, the pre- passing breeze of things, the fact that you have it now, but you won't have it forever, that you know that there come a time of reckoning. And indeed, it is exactly here that Eliphaz is placing the misery of those who are wicked that it's fears of reckoning that destroy uh, the peace of the wicked and even their enjoyment of the good things that they have. Verses 21 through 24 illustrates this. A dreadful sound is in his ears. Uh, in prosperity, so he's not denying that, that the, the wicked prosper, but in their prosperity the d- destroyer shall come upon him. He doesn't believe that he shall return out of darkness and he's waited for the sword. He wanders abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? And he knows that the day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish make him afraid, and they shall prevail against him as a king ready to battle. The picture that Eliphaz is casting for Job, and, and therefore through to for us as well, is a man whose gains are ill-gotten, uh, a man who has prospered through cheating, a man who has prospered through deceit, or maybe even violence, Uh, in fact, probably, most certainly violence, uh, in the oppression of the poor. And so these things he projects also upon others, and he fears, Uh, as he destroyed to get gain, and so others prowl to do the same, that all he could see in the world around him are those that would do to him as he has done to others. A dreadful sound is in his ears. His prosperity, in prosperity, the destroyer shall come upon him. This is his fear. He is waited for of the sword. Of verse twenty-two, but not just that. He also has the fear that if he is exposed, that if his ways and his ways of gaining wealth are made known, uh, that the reckoning will be such that he will never gain again. Uh, That there is nothing but darkness when he is exposed. You know, there are many ways of gaining, uh, particularly in America, where we like the story of the guy that's picked up by his bootstraps. He's a a nobody, and he works hard and becomes wealthy and gains wealth and prospers, and we like that. Uh, But we also know part of that story usually happens that the same person that does that loses it all and gains it again. But that's only possible if the gain is by hard work, right? That if the gain was by deceit and he loses it all, most likely he will be, well, in times of, of, of a greater uh, justice and, and equity under the law, uh, if one had ill-gotten gain, losing it all wouldn't just mean having to start over in hard work, it would mean having to pay the penalty and consequences of being a cheat, and a fraud and a violent man. And so these two things play together. Uh, he sees himself in all of his neighbors. He sees a wicked person in the lies of his neighbors out to get him just as he was out to get them. But also that if he's exposed, he fears for the crowd's reaction to his exposure and he knows he can't survive. Now, Eliphaz, because he is projecting upon Job just such a picture, that he believes that he has rightly diagnosed Job's sufferings, that he believes Job is being dealt with by God to bring him to repentance from being just such a man. But even though most of us, hopefully, by God's grace, are not as Eliphaz pictures others, Uh, But rather, uh, we uh, run the gamut between prosperous and not prosperous. Uh, Nevertheless, this aspect of sin is is universal. That those sins that tend to be the mode of our existence, our modus operandi, the way we go about the world, because some of us have different besetting sins, tends to be the sins that we see often in others. And those things that we do unto others tends to be that which we fear others doing to us. And certainly one of the most fearful things about God's righteousness and judgment and holiness is that it exposes the heart. And so uh, one of the things that we least want to happen is the secret desires, the secret uh, thoughts of our hearts to be exposed. In fact, uh, one of the reasons why our society is so preoccupied with the notions of privacy is because through technology and, and not just technology but societal behavior, uh, those realms of privacy and, and those realms of anonymity, those which we can remain unknown and our, our, our mode is mysterious, uh, that, that circle is closing within us and, and more and more of our private lives, our private thoughts even, are available to those that would uh, do us harm by them. And it concerns us. And unfortunately, uh, by the time that uh, we come to round to making laws and things like that, uh, the damage is already done. And, and we fear that which we've already lost. And... and It tells us, it reminds us, that we are sinners. Because it is certainly true that the holy and the righteous, part of the blessedness of those who are holy and righteous, is that they have nothing to hide. But the fact is, mankind, even the most sanctified amongst us, has a great deal to hide and to fear that others may know. And even when he possesses and prospers and is rich, dread tarnishes his treasure and sours his enjoyment. If you look in verse 28 through 30, he dwells in desolate cities and in houses which no man inhabits, which are ready to become heaps. He shall not be rich, neither shall his substance continue. Neither shall he prolong the perfection thereof upon the earth. He shall not depart out of darkness. The flame shall dry up his branches, and the breath of his mouth shall, and by the breath of his mouth, shall he go away. Uh, Eliphaz is painting a figurative picture there. Uh, he's just said the man is in prosperity, so he has riches of a certain type, but they're not true riches because to them they are parts of his anxiety and worry. And though he may dwell in cities, yet uh, they are without that social connection. If he fears his neighbor, then he cannot really enjoy the, 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 the groups that he brings around himself. The neighbors, the fellowship, friendship becomes something of a mark of suspicion and a danger to him. Uh, the things, the goods that he has, while they may be pleasant in the moment, they rem- the fact that they are feared to be taken away, the fact that he could lose them any moment puts a certain darkness upon them the miser that can't enjoy his money that he saves and scrimps because he's so afraid of losing it. So like Jacob Marley and Ebenezer Scrooge, they become chains that bind them, even in the midst of wealth. This is the natural effects of these sins. But it's not just the natural effect of these sins. It is the justice of God, and justice is dreadful in her poetry. In Job chapter 4, verse 8, Eliphaz, the same speaker, said, Even as I have seen, they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Proverbs 22, 8, Solomon picks this up. He that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity, and the rod of his anger uh, shall fail. In Psalm chapter 7, the 7th Psalm, a Psalm of David, David himself in verses 14 through 16 says, Behold, speaking of the wicked man, he travaileth with iniquity and hath conceived mischief, and he brought forth falsehood. He made a pit and he dug it, and he's fallen into the ditch which he himself made. His mischief shall return upon his own head. The violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. That one of the most dreadful aspects of God's justice is that it is exactly just. That it pays exactly due. That just as you have sinned, just as you have sowed, so shall you reap. Uh, And this probably uh, is is what, well, this is what brings great dread. Uh, Probably with Eliphaz, he's thinking particularly uh, of that we, we situate Eliphaz and Job in the time of Israel's sojourn in Egypt, uh, in near to the days of the patriarchs of which uh, all Eliphaz, uh, well, Job and his friends are part, uh, that they have very much in their mind the history, perhaps of the flood. In verses 17 through 19, this is wisdom that comes from the fathers. Those that, gave, uh, that were given the earth clean, uh, without any stranger in it, uh, which would apply best to Noah and his sons, who themselves, uh, the, what we know them for, is surviving the flood, the picture of the arrogance of a civilization that was wiped out when they least expected it. Vanity came upon them. They did not prosper in their violence. And this is the picture that the Eliphaz lays out from Job. And, and the worst part of it, is the ungodliness of it, that in their fears they could perhaps perhaps find some relief if they would but turn unto the Lord, but is it is exactly here that they refuse to do. The ungodly cut themselves off from their only hope. This we find in the middle of his speech in verses 25 through 27. He stretches out his hand against God and strengthens himself very foolishly against the Almighty. He runs upon him, even on his neck, upon the thick bosses of his bucklers. The god with his uh, mighty armament and his shield. And nevertheless, the oncoming uh, crazy barbarian is, is rushing him. Just as, as oftentimes the Roman legions were rushed by naked, deranged Celtic warriors. And rushed to their doom. Uh, it's irrational. And, and was was, uh, was nuts. And, and Eliphaz finds their irrationality in their own love of their prosperity. He does this because he covers his face with fatness and makes collops of fat on his flanks. Eliphaz is a very good re- speaker. He knows rhetoric very well. He's speaking of the fatness and, and, and the benefits of the privileged and wealthy, but he uses words that that call up at the same time disgust and and a little bit of revulsion, as he ought to. Because while he may be misinformed about Job, and he may be even obstinate and prejudicial against him, nevertheless, he is seeking, uh, as, as foolish as he is, uh, to help Job. And he wants Job to see the wickedness of such ways. We, we see this meditated in the New Testament. Um, Paul very much uh, focuses on this aspect of sin, that it is very foolish, that it, it never seeks what actually is for its own good and happiness and health. Uh, it can't please God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, "...for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit..." For to be carnally minded is death. To love as ultimate that which is a vanity is itself death. It's passing away. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, and it cannot be in its present desires. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Of course, we get a more fuller picture of that, that, that they are in the flesh... And they bring about a further uh, going into the flesh as God hardens their heart in the sin that they love. God's justice is, in many ways, while it's harsh and, and it, is, it is scary to fall into, God is not pulling some punishment out from uh, an arbitrary direction. He's taking that sin which you and I love or, or the one that doesn't know the Lord loves And He's given you the fullness of it. You want this? Take this. And so Romans chapter 1, 28 says, Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate minds. They wanted to be reprobate, God gave them over to reprobate minds, to do those things which are inconvenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, Inventors of all evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that he which commits such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That will not seek out their relief, will not humble themselves in order to be found mercy, but just bring it on and make themselves father the child of hell. This is the condition of mankind in sin. And Eliphaz's application, perhaps not to Job, but to the sinner in this situation, is apt. We find it in verse 31. So the doctrine you find in verse 30, the, the wicked live miserable lives of, of, of dread, uncertainty, you find the application in summary form in verse 31, let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. Uh, that, that we are not to look to that which does not last. Earthly treasures that will fall away. Vanity is the only reward for vanity. It shall be accomplished before his time. It, his bread shall not be green. He shall shake off his unripe grape as a vine and cast off his flower as the olive. His plans themselves will not come to fruition. In that parable, Uh, Jesus speaks in uh, Luke 12, verse 16 and following. Jesus says, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. That is the lesson. That's the lesson that Eliphaz would have Job here. That, that when you are dealing with vanity, all that you will deal, bring forth is vanity. Your plans will go to nothing. Verse 34, the congregation of the hypocrites, they shall be desolate. In other words, a gathering together shall nevertheless be desolate. You shall not gather together in anything but loneliness. And what better describes our modern world that has social media and, and, and friends that are not friends and, and institutions designed to, to give the appearance of community and authenticity but are vacuous and empty and lonely. For the congregation of the hypocrites shall be desolate and fire shall consume the tabernacles of barbary. They conceive mischief and therefore they bring forth vanity and their belly prepares deceit. Because nobody really wants to bring forth vanity. They think that what they're looking at, they think, just like the child anticipating the gift at Christmas, that once they open the gift, all their their wants and desires will be fulfilled and they will be happy. And perhaps they are for a moment. And and then they get tired of that little toy. Because it does not satisfy. Just like food. You eat, you get hungry again. It does not satisfy, ultimately. Ultimately. It's not designed to. It's not meant to. Uh, hypocritical faith fate, is the height of this destruction. Uh, Jesus uh, says in the Sermon on the Mount, because this is, this is the, 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 the worst sort of putting your trust in that which is in the world in, in a sort of a self-righteousness, the Pharisee, or even you and I, if, if we are not looking unto our Savior Jesus Christ, but only the benefits that he gives Jesus speaks to this. He says in Matthew seven twenty one, "Not Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity." They, they read not Christ. They read the appearance. They read the associated things. They wanted their peace. And they wanted their peace without holiness. They wanted their peace uh, with no real judgment of their sin. They wanted not to confront their sin, but they didn't really want the opposite of sin, which is holiness. That is a vain faith. It is not how Jesus offers himself to you. And therefore, putting your faith in such a false gospel, a false Christ, will prove the height of vanity and you will hear to your dismay, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Because even in your assertion of faith, you are putting your hope in vanity. This, by the way, while it is an appropriate uh, warning to the hypocrite, is misapplied to Job, who suffered but did, kept his eyes upon the Lord. He is actually the answer to this. Um, and, and what we learn from this is what Job taught and, and what we find in other places and Uh, In Ecclesiastes 9, For all this I considered, my heart, even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. And no man knows either love or hatred by all that is before him. He knows not the hatred of God or the love of God. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean, to the unclean, and to him that sanctifieth, and to him that sacrifices not. As good, so is the sinner. He that swears, even so, is the one that takes an oath. Or doesn't. The quintessential picture of this is Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified between two thieves. And all three have a different relationship to the Lord God. One who is the, the one that God loves because he willingly lays down his life to take it up again, even though that means a, for, a just forsaken of him. The one who ought not to be there. Then there is the one that mocks the Lord God. And is there as his desert. And then there's the one that begins mocking the Lord, but sees and humbles himself and seeks his mercy. All three, to the eyes of the world, to the eyes of those crowded around, to the eyes of the rulers, were despised and forsaken. But not all three were judged by God as wicked. Not all three were hated by the Lord. And Jesus himself says, those who would serve Jesus Christ must deny themselves and take up their cross. And brothers and sisters, that means suffering and bearing affliction and following Jesus Christ. Job actually was looking unto the Lord. But ultimately, that's one of those things that you and I have to judge ourselves. We have to look into our own heart. As Paul says when he's coming to the Lord's Supper, judge yourself, condemn yourself, lest ye be condemned. But as Jesus says about the Pharisee and the publican, it was the publican who did not put any excuse, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, that goes away righteous. So the lesson then is not to trust to vanity, but rather to trust to your heavenly treasure, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus speaks to this also in the Sermon on the Mount. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and wrath do corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is your heavenly treasure? Understand, it's not the palaces of ivory or whatever the imagery that the prophets reveal of our abiding home. It is the one who is preparing them, Jesus Christ. He is that pearl of great price where the wise men sold everything that he might obtain. He is the treasure hidden in the field. He is your only hope that does not change, that does not forsake you. Be not deceived, says Paul to the Galatians in 6, 7, and 8. Be not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of his flesh reap corruption, because that's all that it can provide. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. the treasures of the world. They come and they go. They're meant to, sat- to, to, to bless the people of God, to be used by the people of God in the service of the Lord, and then to let go when time comes. But a heart cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, that's priceless, and that's not vanity. We need to remind ourselves that the pursuit of any other treasure it brings with it its own misery its own dread but if we trust not to vanity but to him who is who was and ever will be the alpha the omega the author and finisher of our faith we shall never perish and we shall behold the lord And we shall find that joy that is in him and transformed into it, even as he is himself. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask that you would, by your Spirit, plan us firmly upon him. We ask that you would give us to see him, even as he is, and be transformed by him, that we might be made like unto Him, that we would not put our faith in earthly pleasures, that we would not put our faith in earthly security, that we would not put our faith in earthly peace, but that we would place our heart in your promised one. In His name we pray. Amen.